Colossians 1 from verse 24, Paul says something unbelievable. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you, to make known the word of God, uh, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ Jesus. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though uh, though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith." Father God, thank you that we are able to gather like this in your name. Thank you for your word that is made plainly available to us. Sometimes it's so familiar we take it for granted. We lose the preciousness of it. We forget uh, what you have done to clearly communicate your will and your ways to us. But We thank you so much for your word and we pray that it would work powerfully upon our hearts this morning that you through your word and by your spirit would lift our heads and put our eyes back on you and empower us with your faith. We pray that we might glorify you as we live our lives out in Perth. In your precious and wonderful name, amen. Um, this morning I've decided I'm, I'm going to be a little bit honest to start. Um, not that I'm ever dishonest, just a little bit more honest with you to start. In the last few weeks, I've had to really fight for my faith a little bit more than I sometimes have to. I've been tempted to wade in the waters of discouragement. Um, let me tell you about some of it, and this is, not a, this is not an attempt to get you to feel sorry for me. It's an attempt for you to, uh, with me, understand what Paul is saying in this text and then get the point across well. So recently, I sat with all four children in the doctor's office. Uh, One would be difficult, but all four at the same time, uh, because all four of them needed to see a doctor. Uh, That wasn't great. Two weeks ago, uh, my wife started to realize she's going to miss the birth of her only sister's first baby, Um, something they dreamt about, and she shared about a little bit this morning. Um, This sunk in at the same time that she was missing her closest cousin's wedding. so having to see my wife go through these difficult things and know that there's nothing we can do about it. Um, over the last couple of weeks, I've, been, I've met with a few pastors, and all but one um, seem to have become pretty hard-hearted towards God or the church, or both. A week ago, Nasia's dad, uh, she shared, went to hospital with a heart condition. Um, we've got some biggish pastoral issues we're dealing with at the moment. Uh, some are getting suitable attention, and that's good. Some are 50-50. Uh, and whether you know, and then and then there's some that are just holding us off and not um, making it impossible to help them out. Um, 
I've come to realize, uh, and, and this is not a, you're going to have to just hear what I'm saying, not what I'm not saying. I've come to realize that 10 a.m. is one of the more discouraging moments. 10 a.m. Sunday mornings is one of the more discouraging moments for me during the week because the worship team is here, the visitors are here, some of you are here, Josh and I and our families are here, uh, the Live to Serve team is here, and the kids ministry people are here, and we worship together, and most of the church isn't here. By the end of worship, most of the church has arrived and joined the visitors and the rest of us. And it's just discouraging. It, it feels a little bit unloving and self-centered. Don't, don't, this is not a sideways way of pointing out a fact. We've, we've pointed that fact out quite plainly at members' meetings. But it's just discouraging when, you know, the same as maybe in your children when you speak to them. I remember my friend Robert Nightingale said as a teacher's training that they teach, they teach teachers that kids have to hear things 200 times before they learn them, uh, before they'll change. Adults have to hear things eight times before they hear them or before they change. I'm somewhere stuck in between being a child and an adult. I know it takes me more than eight. I hope it takes me less than 200. Um, so there's patience and there's grace, but... But the point is you stand at the, at the pool of discouragement and you're tempted to jump in. Something very encouraging there is we're busy doing uh, pre-marriage counseling uh, with Steve and Charlotte. And she mentioned this week, uh, the only thing Steve asks her for is please be early on Sundays. Don't be late. It's like, really? That's the only thing in your courtship that he asks you for is just don't be late to church? Um, I'm, sure that, I'm sure he'll ask for other things in time. Um, I had four or five other points I wanted to bring up, but I really just felt uncomfortable about mentioning them here. If you're super interested and want to know, I'll share them with you one-to-one, -one, but I don't think this is the, this, the platform for it. Um, so after the, over the last few weeks, uh, I've needed to fight for faith. I've needed to, to go f walk those same pathways, get back to Jesus, cling to him, I say, Jesus, I can't see. I feel like I want to jump, jump into the pools of discouragement. Can you help me see what you see? Can you help me feel how you feel? Why carry on? Honestly, when you're standing at the pools of discouragement, why carry on? So I wrestled with this passage, and eventually I got a grip on it. It was one of those passages you feel like you're understanding, and then you lose it, and then you, you, you wrestle with it. But eventually I got a grip on it. And I want to show you some of the things this morning. Christianity is called a cross-shaped life. Uh, we enter Christianity through the cross of Christ, through faith in Jesus Christ, but we continue Christianity through a cross-shaped pathway of life. Um, and I want to show you a little bit about how that looks this morning or what that means for us this morning. Um, first of all, Jesus suffered. The writer of Hebrews says, uh, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So the writer of Hebrews is saying, let us take off sin, let us pursue uh, God, let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us, but listen to his reason why. Why? How would we go about doing this? You know, where do we get this picture from? He says, looking to Jesus. The author, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So the writer of Hebrews says, your life is going to look like the life of Jesus. Look ahead. Jesus has finished his race, but now look to him. And this is what is, he endured the cross. 
He founded and perfected our faith. And he did it all with joy. And he's now seated in glory. If that's the, the pathway that our Savior took to save us, then that's the pathway our Savior is going to lead us as he guides us. And it's going to be a cross-shaped life. So let me just show you. I'll see how well I can lead us through this. So uh, the writer of Hebrews says uh, that, that the cross is the pillar of our faith. He's, Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And the place that this happened was the cross. And Jesus, with joy, enjoyed the cross um, for others, he didn't need to go through it for our salvation. That's why he did it. And this is atonement. That's what Jesus achieved. That's why Jesus suffered. That's why Jesus took on the attitude of joy to go to the cross for the sake of us, to, uh, to save us, to rescue us, to, to bring us to faith. And that's atonement. It's, it's a one and done uh, reality. It's Jesus has saved those whose faith is in him. Um, and the writer of Hebrews thinks that it will help us and encourage us to look to Jesus and to remind ourselves that Jesus has, has walked this journey of life and he understands the cross, uh, cross-shaped life. The writer of Hebrews wants us to know that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's not just the starter, but he's also the finisher of our faith. Jesus doesn't just get us through the door. Jesus also gets us through the whole thing. And the writer wants us to know that Jesus did this by enduring the cross with an attitude of joy. So what is atonement? What did Jesus achieve on the cross? The complete ex- uh, Mounts' complete expositionary, expository dictionary of the Old and New Testament words says, Jesus is himself the sacrifice that atones for our sins. Our sins have destroyed our relationship with God, but the shed blood of Jesus purifies us from all sin and restores us to fellowship with God. That's what atonement is. It's the finished work of Jesus that purifies us from all sin. Just think about that slowly. Purifies us, washes us, cleanses us from all sin and puts us into relationship with God. All sin. Clean. Right relationship with God. No shame, no guilt, no condemnation. Just you and your Father back in relationship as you were made to be. That's what Jesus achieved. That's what happens when you put your faith in Jesus. That is a done, it's finished, it's a legal standing you have with the Father. And that's atonement. But if all Jesus achieved on the cross was atonement, if all it was is um, just the end, what we would do is then now have to wait. So now we've become Christians and atonement has happened and now then we wait. And so we wait in different ways. We have wait with different personalities, wait with different dreams, wait with different cultures. And so, you know, Western, Westerners wait and think we're the bee's knees in the center of the narrative. And so we wait and, and then come up with things like God helps those who help themselves. Do you know that, and I have an American passport, so I say this personally to myself as well. Do you know Americans think the number one Bible verse in the Bible, the, the, the one that most Americans know, is God helps those who help themselves. Do you know that that's not a Bible verse? It's so ingrained in the culture. In other words, yeah, you're saved now. You're a Christian. Now what do we do? Now you pick yourselves up by your bootstraps. Now you're, going, you're, now you're only going to get what you deserve. Now you're going to work hard to get what you want, and God just wants to bless you. 
In other words, it's people who stopped at the cross and then went on trying to figure out how, how we should live and we put ourselves in the center. Or licentiousness, we go another way. Or morality, so we go morality or licentiousness. But in either way, we're trying now to get on with the, because we got saved, now we don't know what to do, we're just waiting for Jesus, so I can go and sin however I want, it doesn't really matter, uh, my faith is in Jesus, or no, I better like help the old lady across the road, prove I'm a Christian, show people I'm a Christian, not swear, not watch bad things, just to prove to myself again that I'm a Christian, my faith is in Jesus while I'm waiting for Christ to return. But it's not, atonement's not just, it's not just, a fi- it's, it's finished, but it's, it's not the end, it's just the beginning, it's just the first step in the race, it's just... Uh, the gun has gone. Boom, you've been atoned. Now run. Sorry, depending on how you heard that analogy, uh, no one is trying to shoot you. I'm more meant the 100 meter race. <laughs> Not so much Hunger Games. <laughs> so Tim Keller says. The gospel is not just the ABC of the Christian life, but the A to Z of the Christian life. The gospel is the ABC. It's the basic, the 101. How do you get saved? Through Jesus Christ alone. It's it. It's the basic. It's the 101. It's the ABC of the Christian life. But it's also the A to Z. It continues being the only way in the Christian life is the gospel, is the cross-shaped life. So the cross wasn't only the means by which we are saved. It's also the method by which we live. And that's discipleship. That's why we make disciples. We're teaching them how to live the cross-shaped life. Jesus says to his disciples, he says, Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them. Pause. These are people who believe in Jesus. He doesn't just say to them, that's very good. Well done. Now just wait till I come back. He says, no, go and make disciples and teaching them. In other words, he gives them a command to obey. The disciples have to now go live a cross-shaped life. They have to go do what Jesus has done, given them to do. And what Jesus has given them to do is to go make other disciples who obey everything I have commanded. Jesus wants to save us, and then he wants to lead us. He wants us to learn how to walk with him. So Jesus suffers to save. Now Paul is suffering. Paul says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. What a sadist. No, he's not. But what a crazy idea. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. Look at that. Paul has the same attitude, I'm going to show you, as Christ. So if this was atonement with joy for others for their salvation, then Paul says, uh, I, you know, the bottom one is Jesus. The cross is the pillar of our faith with joy for others. He saved them. The cross-shaped ministry, Paul's ministry, the pathway of our faith, he says, I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. And then in a little while, he's going to tell us why he rejoices in his suffering for their sake. But we're going to find out it's because he's on about their maturity. Because through my suffering, you're going to be enabled to hear the word of God and you're going to be able to be mature. He says that I might present you uh, whole, lacking nothing. So Jesus saves us. It's the pillar. The cross is the pillar of our faith. 
but the cross is also the pathway of our faith. And the attitude that goes with this cross-shaped life is an attitude of joy in the face of suffering. The, the goal, the object, the object, not the goal, the object of this life is others, other people. In terms of Christian ministry. And the goal is maturity. Paul's not trying to resave them. He's not trying to give them a set of laws. He's trying to get them to grow from being babies to being mature Christians who are now, um, has, who now ha- not only have a faith in Christ, but have their lives centered in Christ. Christ has become everything to them. So as Jesus endured the cross with joy, so does Paul endure his sufferings. Now, I wonder, I thought it might be helpful to uh, tell you some of Paul's sufferings, just when you think about what, 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 what is Paul talking about. I'm just going to read some of, some of the scriptures uh, that Paul writes about it. He says, are there any servants of Christ? I am bitter one. I am talking like a madman. So he's going to boast a little bit in the flesh. He doesn't want to do it, but the Corinthians are so confused about Paul that he feels he has to. And Paul says this, with, math, um, uh, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death, five times I received the 40 lashes less one, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from our own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at the sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. In Acts he goes, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for. Uh, to care for the church, which he obtained by his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in and not spare the flock. Sorry, that's not about Paul's sufferings. The Corinthian one is enough. Imprisonments, beatings, danger, danger, danger. When Paul says, I, uh, I'm, enjoying, I'm rejoicing in my suffering for your sake, he's talking about real deal suffering. It says, in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. It's not self-induced suffering. It's not avoidable suffering. It's not mild suffering. It's not just life suffering. It's suffering that is because of his relationship with Jesus and his love for the church. And his choice to walk the pathway of Jesus is leading to these incredible sufferings in his life. And it's not suffering for atonement's sake. He's not suffering so that they might be saved. He's suffering for their maturity. He's suffering to teach them about the cross-shaped life, how to go on with Jesus as you have started, so you should continue. He says, I have become a minister of the church according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. And here's what he, in verse 25 and 28, he says what he's supposed to do. This is, this is what he is. As a minister of God, this is what he is. He says, to make the word of God fully known 
Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul's attitude is joy. Paul's object, just like Jesus, is others. But the only place where Paul goes different to Jesus is that Paul doesn't think he's participating in, uh, with Jesus in saving people. He thinks he's now sitting on the shoulders of Jesus training people that have been saved. It's about their maturity, not their salvation. That's Paul's outcome. That's what gets him. Uh, so when he says, I'm, I'm in, my, in my flesh, I'm experiencing, I'm adding to the afflictions of Christ. That, that, what, that's, that which is lacking. There's nothing lacking in salvation, but there's lacking now in growth, in discipleship, in maturity. The thing is that Paul can't actually do it. Paul was an incredible man. Paul was the Jew of Jews. Paul was well-trained under the, the high priest Gamaliel, one of the most famous Jewish high priests. Paul was the top student. Paul was probably quite wealthy, very intellectual. Paul was gaining fame and, and was quite powerful. He had permission to persecute the church. He was quite zealous, quite passionate. But Paul was completely unable to save himself. That's how Paul was, and he was completely blind to faith in Jesus until he had a revelation of Jesus and was blinded by Jesus. Paul was completely blind to Jesus until Jesus blinded him, and, he, and that all he could see was Jesus. Go read Acts. An amazing story. Paul couldn't save himself, and Paul can't disciple others by himself. The only thing that we can do in our own energy is run in the, run in the opposite direction of Jesus. The only thing we can prove to ourselves is that we can't do it by ourselves. And as long as it takes, you know, you have that long. But, but please learn the lesson sooner than later. And Paul couldn't do it by himself. So Paul believed in Jesus. Paul was baptized in Jesus. Paul received the Holy Spirit in Acts. It says that when he was blinded, a guy named Ananias came to him. He said, God sent me here to pray for you. Uh, we're going to baptize you. And God wants to open up your eyes again because after seeing Jesus, he went blind. He said, God wants to give you back your sight and he wants to give you the Holy Spirit. And then they baptized Paul and Paul began his ministry. Paul began his ministry because he was filled with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Because Paul received the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit raised Christ from the dead and the Holy Spirit brought uh, Paul a power that wasn't his and an energy that wasn't his to continue in sufferings, to be in prison and to be beaten and to be shipwrecked and to be bitten by snakes and to be persecuted and to rejoice in all of that. And so Paul says in verse 29, listen to him, I toil, I toil, I struggle. That's personal. That's how it feels. I toil, I struggle, I toil struggling with all. Oh, yeah, so hold on a second. The sentence gets messed up now. I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. 
Is it a grind being in prison, being shipwrecked? Remember, Jews probably, you know, in Paul's day wouldn't be swimmers. So when he's shipwrecked, that's like pretty bad. Bitten by poisonous snakes, beaten near death. Does this feel hard? Does this feel tough? Is it, is it difficult to get yourself up again? Is it difficult to keep going? Is it fair to ask the question, why carry on? Is it fair to say Paul had to fight for his faith? Is it, is it fair to say that maybe, maybe on occasion he stood with his toes over the pool of discouragement and he, and he was tempted to jump in and wade in those waters? It's fair to say that, I think. Except for one thing, Paul had found the key. As we sang today, he had knelt down humbly before Christ and he had never got up. Never. And every single day, he knew that he could, he could continue because he had discovered that the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead was giving to him a power to continue toiling and struggling with all his energy that is powerfully at work in me. Why did Paul continue? Because his energy was working through Paul's life. Paul clung to Christ and never, ever let go. So what does Christian, uh, and in here I'm not trying to suggest yet or anywhere this morning that you are like, Paul, I should be like Paul. I'm just telling you what Paul is like. What does Christian maturity look like? Read verse chapter 2, verse 1 to 5. I've read it. I'm not going to read it again. But basically, it's a Christ-centered community. Go read, go read it. Knit together in love. It's a Christ-centered community. He said, you've never seen me face to face, but I'm going through this for you, and I'm writing to you because I want to encourage you. You are a people knitted together in faith. You are a community. When he's saying you, he's meaning plural. So they get a Christ. what, What does maturity look like? There are a people, a community, encouraged by the apostles' teaching. Who else was like this? Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Here we have the Colossians and those in Laodicea receiving the apostles' teaching for their encouragement in the faith. They are knit together in godly love. Knit together. I'm not um, a grandmom, so I don't know how to knit. I'm sorry for those who got offended. Cross-shaped life. Forgive. I, I don't know. But knitted things, from what I can tell, I wear knitted clothes, are hard to pull apart. Knitted together in godly love doesn't seem like a community that can easily just fall away. It seems like it could get tugged on, could get stretched, could be uncomfortable at times, could go through some heat and get sh- shrunk. I would do the, I do the laundry at my house, so I know about this stuff. <laughs> Knitted together in, in godly love seems pretty tight. seems pretty strong. A clear understanding of the gospel, Christ alone. He says, I'm going to teach you so that when others come and try and add to your faith, you can ignore them, have nothing to do with them. To the Galatians, he said, I wish those kinds of teachers would go castrate themselves. 
You can't add anything to Jesus. What Jesus has done is enough. It's, a lo- it's not only enough, it's sufficient. It's, the, it's it. It's complete. And he wants to teach them so that it's Christ alone. Not just for their salvation, but for all their life. And he, and he says, so that they can also be able to discern empty philosophies and teaching. Because why? Because we're tempted, we're prone to wandering away from Christ. Because we receive Christ. And we sing, Christ, you alone, I give you my, Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my soul, I live for you alone. What? Game of Thrones is on? Oh, I, hope, I, I can't wait to watch it. Uh, I probably shouldn't have a hack at Game of Thrones. I've just never watched it. So it's easy to have a hack at it. Sorry for those of you who are addicted to it. We, we say these things, I give you my heart, I give you my life, and then we struggle with our time. To give it to Jesus. We struggle with our devotions. We struggle with what we watch. We struggle with what we read. We struggle with what we eat. We struggle with who we talk to, who we hang out with, what we say about people. We struggle every day. God, I live for you alone, even though I really actually am tempted every day to live for me alone. And so Paul wants to teach them so that they can see these empty philosophies, that they can see into their own hearts, that they can deny those things and come to Christ. And the other thing, you know, one, one, if you go read those five verses, the one is a Christ-centered community. They're not independent. And the other is, he says, listen to this in verse 5. He, he, this is his conclusion to why he goes through all these sufferings, why he adds into his flesh suffering for the sake of the church. At the end of verse 5, he says, I rejoice. That's how he started. I rejoice in my suffering. Here's what he rejoices in. Here's the object. Here's the conclusion. I rejoice to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. All of this is about you and one another, your good order, your treatment of each other, and about you and your faith in Jesus. Your vertical relationship horizontal relationship with one another I rejoice to hear about your good order and your, your vertical one with Christ I rejoice in the firmness of your faith in Jesus Christ on our website we, you'll see it Josh said it but we've said it a hundred times since then our, 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 values, our values or our vision I don't even know what it is but our motto is Jesus above all others before me Jesus above all others before me. Paul says, I rejoice in your others before you and your Jesus above all. What about the Christian? What about Christians and suffering? Oh, here's a good, here's a good spot to put morality. Here's a good spot to say, you don't need to suffer. You don't need to struggle. Oh, sorry, you're going to suffer, but you don't need to struggle. Jesus' power is at work at you. What's wrong with you? You have all the power of the creator of the universe and the Holy Spirit working in your life, you silly, sulky Christian. I'm not going to do that. What I want to affirm is that we face suffering daily. And it's difficult. And we stand with our toes tempted to wade in the waters of discouragement and we need help and you can't do it you can't as much as you can't save yourself you needed Christ to open up your eyes to faith you need Christ daily 
to cling on to him. To not let go. Please don't think that Christ stretched out and grabbed hold of you. And now the rest of your life is about you stretching out and holding on white knuckled to him. It's not. Christ reached out and grabbed hold of you. And the rest of your life is about you believing that Christ has never let go. And when you suffer, Christ has not let go. And when you don't understand what you're going through in a day or a season, Christ has not let go. And when life isn't the way you want it or the way you prayed, Christ has not let go. Someone said to me recently so wonderfully something I'd felt but never been able to verbalize. They said, I'd prayed, but it seemed like everything I prayed for, God did the opposite, so I stopped praying. It's like, oh, gee, I didn't say anything. But inside I was like, yeah, I've, re- I've, rem- I've felt those times where it feels like God is just going to do the opposite of whatever comes out of my mouth. In those seasons, Christ has not let go. And as my friend, or priest, uh, my friend and priest, John says, the reason that we suffer is that our hearts might be anchored in Jesus. That we might believe Christ has not let go. I wonder if I can ask you just to close your eyes. We need His energy and power to work through us. Right this moment, there's things in your life where you need His energy and power to work through you. He's the author and perfecter of your faith. He's not the author who wrote the first chapter or the forward or the introduction and then gave the pen to you and said, please finish it. He is the author and perfecter of your faith. In your life, you will face suffering, obstacles, challenges. Life doesn't always go the way you planned. Sometimes things are harder than they needed to be. Sometimes things are harder than you wanted them to be. Sometimes we make things harder ourselves. But we're given these daily opportunities to anchor ourselves, to build ourselves, to build our lives and our loves on Jesus. To believe or to doubt to pursue gratification or purity, to put ourselves first or others before ourselves, to be proud or humble, to defend or repent, to live our best life or live for Him, to gossip or to protect, to tear down or build up, To love being liked or to love? To put up with sin or to mortify sin? To be discouraged or encouraged? To sulk or to remember? To give up or to reconcile? To be bitter or to forgive. To go your own way 
or to walk in the way of the cross with Jesus. But in all these things, we need His energy to powerfully work within us. I want you to think, we're going to listen to a song in a moment, I want you to think of one in your life is not connected to Christ. Unforgiveness, doubts, hurts, attitudes, behaviors. Hold them in your mind's eye, open-hearted. And as the song plays... I want to ask you to pray for yourself. To give some things up to Him. To say, God, I give you that. To repent where you've been wrong. To come out of this song knowing and trusting that He is clinging to you. And trusting for his power to work through your life.